Hello and welcome to the No Normal Show brought to you by Revive. This is where we leave all things status quo, traditional, old school, and boring in the dust and celebrate the new, the powerful, the innovative, the future, all related to how brands can lead the way in health. I'm your co-host, as always, Stephanie Weirwill, SVP of Integrated Marketing at Revive. But this week, we're doing something a little bit different because there's been some really big headlines this week. Headlines that are showing the really bold moves that big tech and retailers are making who are continuing to push their way, shove their way, elbow their way into healthcare. So it reminded us of an episode that we recorded a few months ago about the really massive changes that are happening at the top of the healthcare funnel among the Apples, the CBSs, the Walmarts, Amazons of the world, and why all that change means that traditional healthcare organizations and healthcare marketers have to be bolder than ever before. So we're going to give a few headlines up front about what's going on in the space, and then we're going to hit replay on that episode because it is more relevant than ever. And the team has some really great words of wisdom about ways to sell in bold ideas in often, you know, traditional and sometimes conservative organizations that health healthcare marketers often live in. But now we have this world where non-traditional organizations are, are really pushing into your ground. So that's the conversation today. But first, one note for our loyal and amazing listeners We are going to, after this episode, take a little bit of a fall break. So we will be on hiatus for a few weeks, and then we'll be back better than ever with a continuation of the no normal. So with that little note, please, during our fall break, feel free to send us questions, thoughts, ideas, topics that you want us to cover as usual. Okay, now let's get into the headlines. This is such a fascinating news week because we're in this space right now where if you blink for one second, you'll miss huge changes in the healthcare industry. So let's catch up on this week's news. First of all, we have Walmart and United Health teaming up, closing a 10-year deal to partner. This is this is kind of big, 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 big news. They're starting with Florida and Georgia, but Optum, who is owned by United Health, will partner with Walmart Health. And as far as what we know right now, their big goal is to bring affordable health care to millions of Americans using United's value-based care model and bring this kind of affordable, convenient care to Medicare Advantage members. So in the announcement... They've noted that their big focus is on primary care-led services, a.k.a. a lot of what Walmart Health has already been building, again, at the top of the acuity funnel, health, wellness services, primary care, and that this collaboration will also include a co-branded Medicare Advantage plan in Georgia. So that's, you know, kind of what Optum and United Health are bringing to the table. And by January 2023, Walmart Health Virtual Care will also be in network for commercial members in United Healthcare's Choice Plus PPO plan. So it's definitely about combining the members that United already has with the offerings that Walmart Health is building. And of course, the huge reach of Americans that Walmart has. So they note many times in the announcement that it's about serving more people at a lower cost 
And that sounds a lot like me, to me, like an extension of Walmart's brand, save money, live better. And it also really highlights the services that Walmart Health has been building around um, the the standalone um, kind of in in Walmart, Walmart Health clinics that are meant to be a lower price point of top of the funnel care. These announcements also mention access to fresh food, over-the-counter prescription, dental and vision services, again, kind of what Walmart's Walmart's building. So this is a really, really interesting one to watch because Walmart Health made some big waves in the last couple of years, and maybe it's gone on the ra- under the radar a little bit in the news recently, but now with this combination with Walmart and United Health, Optum, you've got some big, big giants in the space, health plan plus retailer. Second headline here is CVS is announcing that they plan to buy Signify Health. And Signify Health has been in the news for weeks with rumors that Amazon was bidding for them. Now CVS has outbid Amazon and plans to acquire Signify Health. So if you're wondering, what is Signify? They deliver healthcare in the home on a value-based care model. So this is a really big deal for CVS. They've long based their retail strategy on being as close to every American as possible. Both CVS and Walgreens have have spat these kind of stats for a long time, uh, that eight out of 10 Americans live within 10 minutes of a CVS and through the pandemic. Virtual care was really critical uh, for getting closer to those Americans. And now with Signify, we have home health. So you really can't get closer to that, right? Like, it's just interesting to think about the retail strategy of being as close as possible to every American. And now buying Signify Health, we've got healthcare in the home through CBS. So this builds CVS's top of funnel strategy. And again, by top of funnel, we mean top of the acuity funnel, meaning health and wellness services at the top, then primary care, then specialty care, service lines, acute care, and so on. And this is very much in line with a lot of what we've been discussing as part of Joe Public 2030, the prediction about the top of funnel wars, and all that there's going on with retailers and big tech really pushing for those health and wellness services. So very, very much in line with that prediction. Now, if you think about, you know, CVS as a pharmacy first and foremost, and and retailer with minute clinics and urgent care and diagnostics owned by a health plan, Aetna. And now home health. So what's next for them? Maybe primary care. I don't know. We'll see if that prediction plays out. But with CVS as a national player, this really affects every single healthcare delivery organization, especially when you consider things like referrals and just the proximity and the national scale that CVS has. So another big headline this week that we'll keep a close eye on. See where this goes. The deal is expected to close first half of next year. So definitely we'll keep a watch on it. The third headline this week is Apple, Apple, of course, if you're like me, you've been really waiting with bated breath for that far out event that took place this week. I, I loved I loved kind of that far, far out titling of it. And I kept hoping and praying that maybe just maybe we were going to get some interesting VR and AR opportunities and offers from Apple, but not quite yet. So they launched the new iPhone 14, Air, AirPods and Apple Watch. And with that came some, you know, sort of hidden in the announcement, additional health sensors and features. 
So we've been talking for a while um, as part of the Joe Public 2030 first prediction, Copernican Consumer, about the coming of age of all the health sensors and that Apple's really owning the space. And maybe these are just, you know, maybe these seem like small uh, feature updates, but I think there's some really interesting implications in what Apple launched this week. So they included a temperature sensor in the Apple Watch, which is especially important for women who can better predict cycles and also a new crash detection so that if and when Apple Watch detects that you have had a crash or an accident of some kind, it can automatically call 911, um, which plays nicely with the fall detection that they already had that detects when you've fallen. And if you don't respond right away, then they can call emergency for you. So this is a big deal for emergencies and emergency departments. And imagine the implications here um, that, that, that could come. But more importantly... It's just more examples of Apple building up its overall health focus with sensors, sensors, sensors everywhere, really. All kinds of features here that, that detect various, various types of, um, of health data. So with all that said, these big headlines this week that, again, if you blink for one second or look away for one second, the whole feels like the whole world has changed. And what's a healthcare organization to do? And that brings us to really the meat of today's episode, where we've got to look beyond our direct competitors. We've got to look beyond those in our markets who maybe we monitor every day and play against because the space is changing. And especially for those in the states where Walmart is prioritizing their new offerings, the Southeast, they're already a direct competitor, right? Like Walmart Health should be on your competitor list if it is not already. So what does all that mean? It means it's time to be bold. It's time to think beyond the expected, to figure out what do your audiences really need, your consumers, your patients, your employees? What can we offer them that no one else is? Which is a little bit, actually a lot bit, of a different way to think if you're a traditional healthcare organization who often says, what are our competitors doing? Okay, now let's do that too. So instead, what can we be first to market with? What can we try? What can we test? Maybe maybe not on the clinical side, but maybe on the marketing side, maybe from an experience standpoint, maybe digitally. And of course, when you think that way, there's often internal pushback, which is, ah, oh, no one else has done this. We don't really need to. It's a big risk. So we're going to transition into some really great hot tips and hot takes from the team here at Revive, highlighting what we've seen work when we're selling really bold ideas into internal teams. And a quick plug, which we will put in our show notes in our description, for a paper that Revive produced called Selling Bold Ideas into Healthcare Leadership, which the team will reference quite a bit. And I think here we have Chris starting us off, telling us a little bit more about that paper and its details. Let's set this up a little bit, and then we're gonna we're gonna dive into this in a number of different ways. The reason we thought this was important to put out there is because it's always difficult to move bold, strong, different ideas through an organization. So if you're if you're in the marketing group and, and you've come up with something great, whether it's a brand concept, whether it's a way to market your services or products, whether it's a way to use social media, maybe it's Cheetos flavored hot wings. Who knows what it might be. Uh, but getting that from the concept all the way out the door 
in one piece so that it has the power that you intend is very, very difficult as it is, as we all know. Uh, but particularly for those of you in the legacy hospital and health system space, uh, as we talk about all the time, your world is being turned upside down from all kinds of angles, whether that's you know competition from Apple and Amazon and and Google and you know Walmart, you name it, consumerism. Uh, there's just the the pandemic, all these different things turning your world upside down. And as you move forward, you're going to have to be bolder in all the things that you do to really uh, continue to thrive, if not survive as a legacy hospital and health system. And, you know, if it's hard for a lot of people to move this stuff through, it's much harder for some reasons we're going to talk about for folks in the health system space to do this. So you're going to need more, bigger, bolder ideas. Uh, and of course, the challenge with that is the bolder your idea, the harder it is to move through. So we've created a guide, uh, again, called Selling Bold Ideas to Health System Leadership, Red Light, Green Light. We will post a link to that uh, for all of you to get your hands on to help you with that endeavor. We're going to dive into just a few parts of it here. And then Jared has joined us because he has a phenomenal story to share of how some of these strategies were put into place to move a really bold idea through a health system out in the market with great effect. So the paper's got all kinds of stuff in it. The first thing that it covers are hurdles to expect when selling bold ideas. So for example, risk aversion, which we're all familiar with, uh, particularly again, if you're in the hospital and health system space, it's a very conservative risk averse culture as it is, as it should be with life and death on the line. Uh, but when it comes to marketing and branding, that's not exactly the mindset you want, right? So how do you how do you think through that? How do you think through the different power dynamics, which are very unique in a health system? The power of, say, physicians that they hold, um, very, unlike almost any other industry uh, where that power is so distributed across the organization. Or the understanding gap. And I'm going to spend just a second talking about that. There's a dramatic understanding gap between the folks that you're trying to convince to move your idea through and yourselves in terms of understanding the value of branding and marketing. So I want to just give a shout out and a recommendation for a book called To Sell as Human. It's by Daniel Pink, which you may be familiar with Daniel. He's got a lot of great books out there. Uh, this is from maybe, I don't know, five, six years ago. It's not about selling products, though it talks about that a lot. It's really about selling ideas. It's about the idea that we're all salespeople because we have to convince others and influence others to adopt the ideas that we're bringing forward. And one of the things he talks in, talks in there about is attunement. And I'll just really quickly talk about this. So attunement is, he says, the ability to bring one's actions and outlook into harmony with other people with the context you're in. And, and one of the things he talks about is the power imbalance that comes between experts and novices. And the way to think about this is the more expert you are in something, the far harder it is for you to become attuned to your audience. So now put that in, in our world. If you have been spent the last 10 years, 20 years in marketing, and you know it inside and out or branding, and now you're trying to sell a new bold idea, a new marketing idea to your C-suite, they don't know near as much as you do. In some cases, hardly anything. And in a lot of cases, what they do know is completely wrong. That makes it very difficult for you to, to figure out how to have empathy with them, 
and how to get to speak in their terms and help them understand what you're trying to do from their perspective. So the better you are at your job, the harder this is, which sounds um, kind of the opposite of the way it should be, but that's the way it is. And so our paper talks about that, but I'd also invite you to check out that book because it's a phenomenal um, tool for helping with this. So then, of course, the, the paper gets into, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shut up here in a second and let others talk, so just in case you're worried about that. How do we actually deal with all this stuff? What are the strategies that we, that we use? So um, an example of that is how to structure your story, right? But we're going we're gonna to dive a little deeper into three of them. And first, uh, Stephanie, because I know this is so near and dear to your heart, uh, you are going to talk to us about the importance of options and nudging. Yes, that's right. So we had an episode, I don't know, several weeks, several months now ago where we talked about behavioral design and behavioral economics. And I think we mentioned nudging, but we'll do it this time in this context. So what is a nudge? First of all, nudge theory is all about how you can shape an environment in order to get people to make the choice that you want them to choose. So it's around choice architecture and a nudge cannot be something enforced. So it can't be like a law or a fine or a jail sentence or even a tax or a subsidy. You have to preserve freedom of choice in this scenario. So just to give an example before we dive into how to make this work, um, an example is that in 2017, scientists realized that they could increase the quantity of fruit and vegetables that were consumed if they made an actual space in shopping carts for fruits and vegetables. So just psychologically, by having that space present in front of you, it made people purchase more fruits and vegetables, almost like you've got to fill this space. Um, so that's an example of a nudge. Um, and so as we think about presenting bold ideas, one thing that is, is frequently done, especially by agencies like ourselves, is to present multiple options. Um, so for example, you know, you see this with pricing tiers all the time. If you have a low, medium, and a high, people tend to go towards the medium price. If you especially skew the high price or the high cost of something um, even higher, then it makes people kind of more willing to pay a little bit more. Um, it kind of brings the whole set upwards. So if you're presenting bold ideas, you might want to throw in a really bold choice in order to get people to think a little bit more boldly. Um, for example, so if you have options and you can present a scale of, you know, safe, here's what our competitors are doing. We've done this before. We know it works. Or here's something that's wild and crazy. You might get people to choose the medium option as an example. But here's the catch. If you present options, you've got to be willing for them to go with anything because you can't always predict human behavior. And so... <laughs> That's something that we see every day uh, with our clients is you have to be willing for any of the options you pick or present to, to be chosen. And you, and you got to be ready for that. All right. Great. Chase, why don't you talk to us about the importance of recruiting influencers? Yeah, I think peer influence, recruiting influencers, as far as internally goes when it comes to selling big ideas is extremely important. It's, it's a way to basically build confidence in those you're trying to influence. So I would say if you've ever heard of social proof, it's similar where people use logos or quotes or validation to, to prove an idea works. That's usually involved with like health tech companies. It's a great way to do that as well. Uh, but as far as getting bold ideas to sell internally, there are definitely people in, in side systems specifically that you know will have a lot of influence and it will be really important to to get them on your side when it comes to this idea. So 
honestly, Jared, Jared's a great example of doing this inside Revive. Jared's got great ideas. He finds his way to kind of make his way around the agency, plants some seeds along the way as far as presenting a bigger, bolder idea. And I think we're going to hear a little bit more about this with Jared's example. But it's a it's a great way to, I guess, I don't know, um, ensure it's a strategy to help make these bold ideas actually get through and get approved within your system. So I think one thing to do, to make sure to do is if these if the bold idea does get proved, circle back to these people and, and provide proof points, provide measurement that's working uh, to make sure they don't change their minds uh, even once, once it hits the market. Yeah, that's great. One of my favorite stories with this is years ago, maybe the one of the boldest ideas that I was ever a part of was launching a brand campaign for a health system where the first two months would be a teaser campaign. So they would have no logo on it. Uh, and the idea was very bold. It was basically creating in always mirroring like a movie release. So we had trailers, we had movie posters, we had all of that and none of it was branded because it was the whole point was to get your attention. And we featured patients like we had one called Courage Girl. So it was a real patient that was dressed up like Superwoman. Uh, and it was it was phenomenal, but really risky for a health system for all those reasons. And the marketing leader loved it and was getting ready to take it to the CEO. And the, the, one of their top neurovascular surgeons walked into her office and saw the comps on the desk and said, what's this? And she told him and he, and he said, this is incredible. We have to do this. We have to do this. This is amazing. Hmm. So she, I mean, totally accidental. She was able, I mean, he's one of the biggest, you know, revenue drivers for the system. She was able to take that into the CEO and say, Dr. So-and-so loves it. So now the CEO's like, okay, what am I going to do? I, if I, you know, unless I really hate this, um, why not? If we've got one of the top docs involved whose service line was featured. Um, so that to me is like a great story that shows why that, yeah. why that can work. All right. So lastly, we want to talk about the importance of using evidence to support your, your bold idea. So Jared, why don't you talk to us about that? Sure. Yeah. Physician, we work with physicians and scientists every day and they are natural skeptics. That's what science does for them. And so they're also skeptical of the fuzzy, wonderful art and science of marketing, dealing with perceptions and soft areas and feelings doesn't always inspire a ton of confidence. But the funny thing is they know the problems of talking with patients who are also just conversations, by the way, to make diagnoses that are really important. They are also aware of studies just like we do right now. I think the key is for us to acknowledge where our studies aren't strong. When you, there's a funny thing that happens with doctors and physicians. When you explain to them that you know the limitations of your own research and evidence, they come along in a whole different way. One of the best ways to start with that, though, is with hypotheses. Before you even start, if you have a chance to wait, have them weigh in on what you think might be happening, and then your research proves or disproves that, you have evidence for it, man, it can bring you a long way along to get those doctors bought in uh, and physicians bought in overall uh, for, for different areas. So having evidence, but also letting them influence the evidence and pointing out your own flaws. Yeah, that's great. So we're going to we're gonna have Jared kind of tell us a story. The last one I want to mention real quick, but I'm just going to set up as a tease, is the paper talks about the idea of priming, which hypotheses, I think, do uh, to a degree as well. And so 
because Stephanie and I in particular, I think Chase enjoys it too, but Stephanie and I will could geek out for hours on behavioral economics and design. Next week's episode is going to be a hundred percent dedicated other than maybe quiz the audience again <laughs> uh, to priming and anchoring, which are very similar in nature as biases that can have a huge impact on your marketing if leveraged the right way. So we're going to, we're going to dive deep into that. So we won't talk about it today, but next week we will have a very fun behavioral economic design marketing podcast. But with that said, so Jared, talk to us about a bold idea that you were a part of why it was bold. Though I think that's self-evident once you describe it. And then we've talked about it on this podcast before, so we can link back to when you shared it in depth um, or when we had folks here to share it in depth. But then how the heck did it get? I still, to this day, I'm amazed at how this made it through and got on the street. So talk to us about this. Yeah. Um, the campaign was led by VCU Health. Uh, and for folks who don't know, they're an academic system. Uh, that runs an authority, which is really unique in health systems. Most public hospitals are, are run by the state, but they're actually their own authority. And they have this kind of unique mission, uh, like most safety nets do, right, for them that's about serving all people. Uh, and they live it out in a large way, and they, they, they have to. It's, it's part of just like their entire culture. When vaccines came around, you know, Revive was doing research back uh, October, initially talking to individuals across the country, understanding early hesitancy. Um, and we had kind of kept in touch with the research. And as we began looking towards a future of vaccine adoption, we knew that we would have to find ways to move specifically the hesitant. There were too big a gap. The threshold that we'd have to reach for herd immunity was just too large. So we knew we'd have to move the hesitant. So what in the world do you do? Well, we had research that said there were specific populations that had issues uh, and that were more hesitant. That was the issues with the vaccine really lived in five groups, but uh, from our research, but the three that mattered for VCU health, the hesitancy that mattered was black Americans, Hispanic Americans, and young Americans. And the, the funny thing is those groups overlap really significantly. So young black Americans were much less likely than even older black Americans. So there was a really big cultural context. There was an identity problem that people didn't think they needed the vaccine and they didn't think the vaccine was for people like them. So how the world, how in the world do you bridge that gap? How in the world do you get people who don't see <laughs> this vaccines is even relevant to them to identify with that? That's where the campaign came in. So the campaign was pretty simple. Background with the predominant color being VCU gold. Uh, an individual from the community who represented those communities featured. And then there was a headline. Someone would say their reason for getting the vaccine and it would end with this shot matters. Uh, one small distinction, the shot, O in the shot was covered by a small heart. And that heart really represented this chance for it to be misread for there to be a double entendre. Um, this ish matters as one focus group participant said uh, was a really effective way to reach out. And Speaking of what we, how we got something like that through, first off, um, there was some terror on the marketing team about the idea of this. Uh, I remember the call we, when we first presented, um, there was this like pregnant pause where we were like, <laughs> either we've completely destroyed the assignment and missed the assignment, or we understood the assignment really well. 
luckily the Marcom uh, team at VCU Health was so gracious and got so excited to put energy behind it. But to do that, we had to do a lot of work. First, we started with evidence. Uh, we had great research. We knew the audience well. We knew what they cared about. But we also did focus groups. And I'll tell you, it was so exciting in focus groups. We had young groups and old groups. And the young groups, I mean, you brought it up and they're like, do we have to tell them? Do they know that they did this? Because it was so relevant. It was fantastic. But my favorite response was from the older groups. The older groups, <laughs> one little lady didn't even realize. They didn't even realize that there was a double entendre for a minute. And But when it came up, there was this man who very proudly said, this shit matters? I would put that on a t-shirt. I would wear that all around because this does matter. It made us really happy to see the enthusiasm the audience brought because it told us we were hitting something important. And I was waiting, I remember waiting really carefully, this little old church lady. She, she told us she was a church lady, uh, <laughs> waiting for her to say something. And then when she finally came out, she said, I guess it's what we all need right now, isn't it? And I was like, thank goodness we have some understanding. So beyond that, influencers, because you take results like that, but what do you do? Well. Cynthia Schmidt, our client, is a genius at managing influencers across the organization. I want to learn so much about her. While agencies can come up with big ideas, having the clients that can network and sell them is critical. It, the work doesn't happen without them. So what did Cynthia do? She pulled in the vaccine communications expert from VCU, the university, had her look at the campaign. And Dr. Guidry said, this campaign works like the other ones don't even come close. Without her endorsement, it never would have happened. Then Cynthia also geniusly went over to a peer group with Vizient and had them look at the campaign and got a glowing endorsement from other Marcom professionals from other organizations saying, we wish we had done a campaign like that. Um, all that together tapped into a new head of communications who talked to the CEOs of both the university and the health system who brought them all on board. So this was that climbing the ladder one wrong at a time until you get to the right moment to make decisions. Um, and man, I tell you what, Cynthia knows how to set the stage. Uh, as we were getting ready for this, uh, there was one thing on the minds of the health system. And that was this. There was a huge increase in the number of young people in the ICU. And Cynthia and us, we drove that home. That was the primary reminder. Our mission is lived out in these moments when we step up and do something bigger and bolder. And that really brought audiences along. So in lots of ways, the story, the campaign we're really proud of, but the story of selling it in, um, I, 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 I'm so grateful for the client, uh, for Cynthia, for the whole team, Nina and Marcos, who all together worked to get, work really brought home the idea uh, and got the organization on board. Uh, that's so great, Jared. And, you know, I, I set this all up by saying, the need for bolder ideas was because the industry is being transformed. And, and I mentioned COVID, but I mean, there really is no more important place to be bold when there are thousands of lives at stake, which is what we're still facing, unfortunately. Um, and this very issue is the number, re the number one reason why we are at this moment anyway, is because we still can't get enough people vaccinated. Um, and so just just such an important goal and objective and challenge to overcome. And and again, like, let's just say it. You got a profanity entendre 
based campaign through a state operated large health system. Like that should be the top of your resume. If, of course, you're <laughs> never going to leave here. So, so maybe that's silly, but it, but if, you know, down the road, 20 years, that should be the, that should be your headline at Chase and Stephanie, you guys want to weigh in at all on that? I just, I just, I don't know. I'm always speechless at it. Yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's incredible. It's such a wonderful story. And it's interesting because it could seem like it's just one word that we hear every day, but to me, it's, it gets at the passion that's needed in the world right now. Right. And to me, that's what it gets at is it sparks, it sparks a little bit of passion and it sparks a little bit of, you know, needed controversy in a positive way. And I think one of your focus groups participants said it well, right? Like this is what we need right now. So that's why I think, you know, it sounds like one word, but the power of language can be very, very important in headlines and beyond. Yeah, and I think it was, I think it resonated, right? It resonated with the right audience. And I think it can be really hard to be, to make a message from a health system. It has to be targeted. It can't just be to everyone, though we care for everyone. It's hard to make anything resonate when you put out a message that is for everybody. <laughs> and I think this was very targeted specifically for the younger generation. It resonated with them, it hit them. Uh, and I think that's a really, important part of this of this work and and why this worked one of my favorite parts of the whole campaign was what happened after the fact because it's funny when you're a little bold how other people start propping you up and helping you out and it was the um we you know we, of course we did a big media buy we had all these people um the client gathered a first set of influencers which was great but there were so many more people who wanted to be a part of the campaign they kept coming and asking can i help can i be can i can i loan my talent and expertise and then there were the sports stadiums and the sports partners who are like, can we put extra media placements behind this to make this show up for our people? And then maybe my, uh, the, uh, the radio stations told us they were getting calls to say, thank you so much for doing this. Can I tell my story? Um, and then maybe my, one of my favorite ones is there is a, a newspaper in Richmond who got a very specific note about how it was um, the, the one complainer, right? Uh, who said, this isn't worthy of a newspaper like yours. And I was so proud to hear the newspaper say, we believe in what BC Health is doing, and this is the right thing for y'all to be doing. So even like everyone, the whole community really came around and said, you're doing the right thing. And I mean, the results showed. I mean, like we have people, uh, the, the rates changed for people being willing, and it had an impact on brand in a way that uh, VCU help, had to fend off two very large competitors with their own branding efforts. And somehow this campaign still stood out and made a business impact. So we are really thankful to have been a partner. All right. Well, Jared, thank you so much. So we've got, we got a couple things here. One, in the show notes, we will have a link to a copy of the paper uh, about how to sell up red light, green lights. We will also provide a link to a case study if you want to see this campaign, uh, you can hear the radio spots, which are hilarious, um, where the there's bleeps involved, uh, and you can see it live. So all of that um, will be in there. So I just want to thank everybody for being here on the show. Jared, in particular, thank you for being a guest. A pleasure. Thanks for having me. Chase and Stephanie, as always, thank you. Yeah, enjoyed the conversation. I'm going to have to go get some... Uh... Cheeto wings from Africa. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs>
I'll join you, Stephanie. I'll join you. I expect a full report. A full report on that. Also, if you haven't heard of it, make sure you go to joepublicretreat.com. It's one of the most amazing events in the industry. We get top health system marketers together in a room. Um, It'll be a big room this year. Uh, But we still cap it at 40, 50 people. And it's basically a two-day roll up your sleeves, no PowerPoint conversation about the most amazing topics and challenges that are in front of you. So February 7th through 9th, go to joepublicretreat.com to learn more about that. If you want us to cover something in particular, you know to shoot us an email at nonormal at reviveagency.com. So for next week, next week's covered. We're going to be talking about nudging. No, not nudging. Anchoring. Priming. Priming and anchoring. (laughs) Behavioral. Behavioral, behavioral, behavioral. Uh, so definitely tune in for that. Make sure you share the show with friends and colleagues. Give us a review and rating on iTunes. All that's great. And until next time, do not be satisfied with the non-bold. Do not be satisfied with the normal. Push the no-normal, everybody. Thanks so much for joining. We will talk to you next week. Three, two, one.